Are you tired of using Google Drive or Dropbox to send files to clients? Well, never get burned again with FilePass. I love and use FilePass exclusively for sending files to my clients. It's a cloud file sharing website specifically made by engineers for engineers. It's absolutely amazing. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash FilePass to check out the full feature list and subscribe today. Never lose another dime to burned projects. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. One, two, three. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK. And with me, as always, we have Long Legs Lou. You know what's funny is I have short legs. And more importantly, (laughs) we were coming up with a bunch of nicknames ideas. And I just came with that up on the spot. I came that. What am I saying? I'll tell you. I came up with that on the spot. If I had longer legs, I might play more ball. And uh, today, or we, at all, there you go. And uh, today, we do have some special guests. Um, we have four people standing in the room staring at us right now. It's not intimidating. It's at not all. intimidating at all. There are lovely. We have interns and our lovely assistant Henry. Milo says hi to everybody. Miraculous Lige. Milo. Um, Miraculous Milo. Harry Henry. Uh, we have energetic Elijah, and we have matching Mitch. Matching Mitch. We have That's another Mitch. <laughs> Yo, Mitch, Mitch just Mitch's matches ev- Mitch just matches every I'm just confusing all my words there. Mitch just matches every time. Matching is Mitching everything. <laughs> Mitch match. Mitch match Mitch. Match Mitch match. Match Mitch match. Mitch. All or right, Mitch anyway. Please. Mitch please. On the grilled cheese with the grilled cheese or whatever it is. All right. So <laughs> We have a good episode today. By good, I mean uh, we actually have a direction to go with. (laughs) Uh, And the direction today is a common question that we get um, through our Instagrams uh, as well as just on our Discord and from people that wherever they ask us questions. I don't remember exact, but we get... Twitter. We get this a lot. And the question is... Something about gain staging. What the heck is gain staging? How does it work? How can we use that to better our mixes? And you know what? I'm going to let Lou take take the lead on this episode as he has a lot of experience with gain staging. And we will eventually get into what this has to do with mixing and how this helps. So let's, let's first talk about, Lou, what the heckity heck is gain staging? So a lot of people have this misconception that it's basically um, just making sure you have enough level 
per track on your on your recording session or whatever, um, which is partly the case. You know, you don't want to exactly be mixing something that is coming in at like minus sixty decibels. Like, what is that? Who was recording that? And who was li- who honestly heard what they were recording? Now, with that said, it's possible that somebody sent you stems with, uh, let's say, a synthesizer that was lowered in their session, but when they printed it, they printed it with a lowered level instead of just giving you, you know, an actual gain stage level. Now, why does this matter? It's because uh, a lot of people want to use these emulation plugins like the SSLs, API, uh, Neve, and whatever, but... You know, you'll notice something about the old days that not all of them actually had the ability to, like, up the gain on the input all the time. Or they had just a desired level that you would be hitting it already on the way in so that it can perform at the best it's supposed to. For instance, like an 1176 LN, the LN stands for low noise. But in order to actually keep the noise down, you don't want to exactly have to be boosting the input of the compressor. Because the more you boost it to get to the compression stage, the more noise you're bringing up from the actual unit itself and whatever's coming ahead of it. So gain staging is really just a practice of getting enough level into whatever the unit is so that it can actually be working at a full operational setting. And that's in the analog domain. Um, Even in the plugin. Even in the plugin domain. I think that gain staging for recording is probably the most relevant thing, first off. Uh, I think beyond not clipping, making sure that you don't clip at any point, giving enough headroom. Um, And you talked about the balance of giving enough headroom, but also not going so low that when you have to import and mix it and get to the master stage, it doesn't raise the noise floor. The noise floor, to put it a little bit more simply, is the that's underlying all uh, audio tracks and just inherent in audio equipment. Yeah. Um, this is one of the main technological stats or specifications that's on every website for every equipment. How many dBs is the noise floor? Minus 100, minus 90, minus 110, yeah. whatever it is, right? That, that This is a huge thing. And um, I thought that it wasn't a huge issue. Um, we were hanging out with Bob in previous episodes, obviously, and, and I've been we've been hanging out with Bob quite more often. I asked him, there's, I forgot what exactly what it was, but there was a specific piece of gear that he really liked. And I asked him why he's not using it anymore. And I said, oh, because it's just a loud unit. And I didn't quite understand what he meant. It's like, oh, but if it's just one piece, it's not that loud. If you have a lot of loud units together, that hiss is going to be really loud, right? It adds yeah. up. But if it's just loud enough, like, why is this enough that you stopped using it? And it turns out, like, even for him... It was still loud enough that it was annoying. And then when you use the plug-in version of it, where there's no, virtually no noise floor, other than the one like added noise floor through the compressor or whatever it was, um, he said that that sounded better to him. So it's, yeah. it's just interesting because like noise floor does, and this is why the, the nature of especially vintage analog equipment, non-modern stuff that inherently has a higher noise floor, um, H delay mm-hmm. has a huge noise floor. You got the first Apex number one rule. Exciter. Yeah, the number one rule is you turn off on H delay. You turn off the analog emulation. That's the number one rule. Okay. <laughs> before anything else, before monoing or before uh, not putting reverb on the sub, you definitely need to turn off the analog on H delay. That's the number one rule. All right, but uh, there's still like there's still a lot of beauty in it. I hear records. All the time where there's like noise floor and there's like a slight hiss in the background. And oftentimes I think it's a vibe. Yeah, totally. Um, that's kind of the funny thing, though. Like nowadays, uh, if uh, if you're trying to gain stage solely for 
just having level, that's fine. But a big issue that you're probably going to run into when you're trying to use certain emulations is, like, for instance, the SSL 9000J from uh, from uh, Plugin Alliance. It's actually a great emulation. The moment you engage that gate, though, uh, if you were to, let's say, just have a preset, right, that you load up, that you like all the time, and that preset is engaging the gate at, let's say, minus 30 decibels, if your signal's not loud enough, it's going to automatically clip it, and it doesn't exactly have anything outside of the input to actually raise the floor, right? So let's say that it was recorded, and they didn't probably gain stage it at first. Maybe they just recorded quietly through a vintage Neve. Well, a vintage Neve is noisy. If, let's say, you were in a room, and uh, your room is a little bit echoey and whatnot, but you record quietly, you just uh, you just go ahead and take whatever signal you can and you run it through a compressor just trying to get it to sound louder well that compressor is going to bring up more of your room all that stuff has to do with you know proper gain staging but once you start getting into the plugins it's only going to bring it out more the way you hear uh the compression right that little noise floor that gets brought up and everything that's all working against you if you don't properly gain stage from the start but more than anything it's going to be some type of issue with the emulation that you're running through so this is pretty common practice for some engineers, especially a lot of engineers that use hardware um, and have a lot of hardware. Uh, Chris Lord Algae is famous for doing this. There's many other engineers that do this as well. Um, but this is a technique where gain staging is incredibly important. Um, if you have a lot of analog gear and you're running through a console, oftentimes, for example, CLA will leave his 1176 at a specific level. And, and they'll leave the the compressors at a specific threshold at a specific level and they don't touch it what they touch instead is the gain stage into that compressor into that eq or whatever it is um this is common even for mastering engineers uh and so i think that that's another technique as well where you can um set and forget your outboard gear and you really purely through the art of gain staging use that gear mm-hmm uh, there's uh, on plugins, for example, the purple 1176 from MC77 from uh, uni- uh, Plugin Alliance. There's a headroom, which is kind of like the threshold, but it's a little bit different. It's the headroom of the device. You can lower the headroom so it starts compressing faster and it gets dirtier faster. Yep. Uh, that's one thing that you could do. So you're literally messing with the gain stage, like where the gain staging is for that specific um, unit. For that specific unit. And I actually use that more often than I use the input and output. So I leave the yeah. plugin. Um, the default position where I've left it at, and then I just turn down the the headroom. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of plugins from Plugin Alliance and Brainworks is doing that as well. Um, and it's a good way to like kind of practice and figure out where headroom sounds good. If you have too much headroom, then it's really clean, and maybe that's what you're going for. If you push it a little bit more, too much is bad because you'll start distorting, and and audible distortion is not always good unless it was on purpose. Um. But, I mean, you can get some nice character out of it. You can get some nice saturation from it. So um, there's a blend of the two. And and getting used to figuring that out, I would say, hear me out on this one. I think that it's a big deal. And other than not distorting it, I think that the online audio community makes a bigger deal out of it than it actually is. How do you feel about that? I think that's to be the case. Uh, Realistically, gain staging is very important. Obviously, like I said, if you're trying to get the most out of your plugin but i've always been a huge subscriber to the rule of if it sounds good it is good it really doesn't matter i've i've met people who come out with such amazing productions out of the most minimalistic setups 
that outdo people. I mean, me and you know people that have like two, three hundred thousand dollars studios and can't seem to be able to get any of it to work properly when just an Apollo would have been fine. Oh, it works properly. Yeah. Oh, it works properly, but they just don't, they know don't what have they the ear for it. Yeah. 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 So with that said, just an Apollo and some simple tracking would have been fine. But overcomplicating your work is only going to make you move slower. It's going to make you move more erratically versus efficiently. And in the end of the day, you're either doing this as passion-based career or you're just doing this as a career, which most people in business are going to tell you, don't overcomplicate your work. And if this is your passion and you're you're just putting the extra time because you want to, then by all means, I get it. I own a bunch of gear and I love it, but I'm going to move very efficiently with it because this is also my profession. Absolutely. So on that note, I think it's the, for me, it's, it's, it does help a lot, but if you ever see comments online or someone giving feedback on your mix or whatever, and they comment something about gain staging, um, the first question is, is that if they hear distortion, if it's distorting, then it may not be right. But they might be, as in like, they might be right about it's a gain staging issue, like if it's distorting. But that being said, um, it's not just gain staging. It's just sometimes the limiter is making it distort. Sometimes, comp- like whatever it is, and and actually that is a gain staging issue again as well. So, um, I would say that gain staging doesn't make or break a mix if it's not distorting. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it is distorting minimally, I would still say it doesn't necessarily hurt a mix as much as people think it does. And same thing with the converter conversation. This is a very hot topic online. Every once in a while, it gets brought up. Um, it w- like five years ago, it was super hot. People were like, "Yo, it's just getting new converters, and your mixes will sound better." Are you using the focus right converters? Yeah, that's total to me. That's like borderline BS. Uh, yes, converters do make a difference, but it ain't gonna make your mix better. That I'm gonna tell you that right now. It's and it's because here's the thing. Let's say this converter is cleaner, it's brighter, and it's more wide but you're mixing on a worse Focusrite converter. Now, here's the thing. If you mix it to be cleaner, brighter, and wider, you can compensate for the converter. Yeah. So to a certain degree. I mean, it won't get you 100%. So that, that's not an excuse as but well. But imagine this. Now that you can hear it on a better converter, because at the end of the day, too, when you're bouncing from your DAW, I could be wrong about this, but logically speaking, the only difference is your clock, is it not? If everything is in the box and you're not retracking your mix at all, technically speaking, the only thing that actually plays a part is how you hear it, but not actually what's being bounced within the DAW because you're just bouncing ones and zeros at the end of the day. Yeah, so again... So your, your converter, once again, sure, you may have a Lynx Helo, but if you're not retracking your mix through a semi mixer into the Helo and all that, what does the A to D matter on the on the Helo? It's not going to affect you as a mixer directly unless you're once again reprinting your mix. And more importantly, the conversion for a Helo, which is amazing, my, like one of my favorites by far. It's it's one of the few. I know that I just literally just talked down in converters, but the Helo Lynx Helo is one of those things where I listened to the comparison between that and an Apogee. And it was just like mind-boggling to me but once how again, good it was. Would it have made you a better mixer to have it? No, definitely not. It, it would have worked against you on a on a on a slight level, wouldn't it? Because it would have made you that much more confident in what was going on versus working against it and getting better to actually figure out where you could be better. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's many ways that you could think about it, and we could philosophize. Philosophize is that the right word? Theorize yeah. on it. Um, but 
the fact of the matter is, yes, it matters a little bit, but not even a quarter as much as the internet makes it to be. Um, and, and to be fair, uh, I do want to say this, and I want to give a be careful. This includes the people on my Discord um, where you can get free feedback. Um, usually Lou and I, we charge for our feedback. You can go to mixamusicpodcast.com and, and request for some feedback. I think it's like 20 bucks. Um, we give, both Lou and I will give a well-typed out feedback for you, for your song. Um, but on the Discord, we do, people do feedback and stuff. And I want everybody who's listening right now, if you, if it's been a minute, or if you have never listened to it yet, go back to one of the first, I think it's like the first or second episode of the podcast where, I talk about how to give feedback. Um, I still see people having an issue more with pride and thinking that they know what they're talking about, um, that we're letting people save face by not calling them out to a certain degree. Now, this doesn't mean that you should be less confident in giving out your feedback. Um, but I do think that you should refer back to that first episode where I talk a little bit about like, you know, reading, reading the conversation and reading the kind of the, the kooky, the air. Mm-hmm. And like being able to say like, okay, this person's not really looking for feedback. He's looking for affirmations. She's looking for affirmations, not feedback. I'm kind of being able to read that. Um, so I think, I think it's the same sort of line. Um, I got a little bit off on topic there, but, uh, with gain staging is the same sort of thing. Gain staging is incredibly important, especially for like distortion clipping things. Um, but at the end of the day, if, even if you gain stage everything perfectly, your mix can still sound like shit. (laughs) Yep. And even if you gain stage everything incorrectly, that's not an excuse for your mix to sound bad. And, and I just want to make that the bottom line. Is that fair to say? To a point. Once again, it's dependent on why you're using the gain stage at all. Like most times, uh, if somebody sends me a mix and something was meant to be quiet, why am I going to bring it up in volume only to bring it back down? That doesn't make any sense. It's an oxymoron thing to do. Maybe maybe okay, maybe, so, if, maybe if it was for a specific plugin, at yeah. that point maybe if I want the plugin to work a certain way, then sure. But realistically speaking, let's say somebody sent you a soft pad that lays as the bed for the music, and it's supposed to be like twenty decibels lower than the rest of the music, then why would you bring it up another fifteen decibels just to get it to line up, only for you to bring it back down to where it was supposed to be, anyways? Yeah, it's an oxymoron issue. So the question now becomes. Lou, when, when you're mixing, mm-hmm. has, oh my gosh, I got to gain stage this better, or I have to gain stage this, an actual thought that has come through your mind? Yes. People who record with the beat on okay, full no, blast. Okay, no, mixing, mixing, mixing. No, 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 that's all right. People who record with the beat on full blast, and because of that, all the vocals are coming in really hot, and there's no headroom for me to mix into. Yeah, I'm going to gain stage everything down as a whole. Okay. And then uh, people who record with the beat too quietly, and because of that, they actually record the vocals way too quietly. I'm going to gain everything up. But realistically, I just want... I just want things to actually make sense. Like, if I could get everything to be zero on the faders, everything at Unity, and it still sounds the way they sent it to me, then amazing, because then I'm making minimalistic changes versus trying to slam the fader all the way up. Actually, this is a good point. This is a really good point. So I just remember two ways that I use gain staging. Um, One is when people send out, especially from Logic users, the default is set to normalize, so it exports the stems at a loud volume. Which is So the first thing I do is turn down the clip gain for everything. Clip gain is different from volume. It's the actual like input gain yeah. of, the, of the signal, right? So I turn down the clip gain of everything, and this is a very me thing. 
So one, okay, so I just turned down the clip gain so it's at a lower level. So my starting point is at a lower level. So that way I can turn things up and I have enough headroom where if I'm like leveling things out, I can keep all the faders around around unity or zero and it still not be clipping. That, that's kind of like what I'm doing, right? Um, but the second thing that I do with gain staging, and this is more like part of the automation thing. So a lot of people automate the volume of the vocal. Mm -hmm. And I do that too as well. But oftentimes, I actually volumate, volu uh, volume automate, automate the volume. <laughs> Let me say this again. I'm messing up a lot today. I need a Red Bull. I automate the clip gain of the track into the plugins. Mm -hmm. So instead of having the plugins run or having the audio go through the plugins and then changing the volume, I want the vocals to compress a little bit more when they're quieter. So then I automate the input gain, the clip gain. So then it goes into the compressor a little bit hotter. Uh, I do that on purpose as well sometimes. And it does have a different sound, and it hits the, it hits the compressor differently, obviously, and the EQs differently. Um, so that's not my go-to always, but it's definitely one like my first preferential thing. And, and part of it is also just easier instead of like going to the volume tab and going to that line. I can, I can leave the clip gain line up. And it's just control shift up arrow for like up and mm -hmm. down five dB is what it's set at point zero point five dBs at a time. Yeah. Um, I do that as well, and that helps a lot. So I think there's many uses for clip gain. And you're right when people send in files way too loud, turning it down, not just in volume but the actual gain of the track. That's actually huge. That's yeah. actually I would say a big game changer for those who are not doing it already. But yeah, yeah. Gain stages a track when you're recording. That's a big one that a lot of people miss because I keep seeing people uh, want to throw a plug-in on the two-track channel. Like, uh, let's say a compressor, for instance, but the two-track's already got an L1 limiter printed in it. Um, just clip gain it down. You don't have to throw a compressor on it and try to push it down because all you're really doing is slamming that compressor and making the two-track sound worse. Um, when you're tracking, try to have it around, like, minus 10 uh dbfs um if you could do that generally speaking you should be able to get a good amount of volume from your vocals and everything while tracking and your gain staging needs will minimize themselves automatically and that's a golden moment too what you just said you said um you don't have to compress things to turn the volume down i want to re-emphasize that sometimes you can just turn it down yeah, yeah. um i say i would want to say and you don't need a compressor to make it louder exactly and and even for percussion stuff, this is just some feedback that I got from uh, a master engineer that I used recently. Uh, he's like, DODK, you can let a little bit more of the transient in through for percussive instruments. And that was very interesting to me because uh, that was part of that. Like, I could have just turned down the percussion instead of, instead of just compressing it. And I think it would have let that transient through a little bit more. Um, and, and just things like that. Like, I love what you just said about, like, the compressors. Like, just turn things down. If things should turn down. And this is another thing, too. Like, um, This is pretty common knowledge, but I want to reemphasize it for everybody that's listening. If anybody's first thought is, oh, we need to turn everything up, that's wrong. What you want to do is instead of turning that instrument up, oftentimes the better thing to do is turn everything else down. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like literally that's kind of... Is there any more thoughts on gain staging that you have? It's, it's a pretty no, it's simple a, topic, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it's a five-minute conversation topic. Yeah, and as long as you're not clipping, then go ahead and experiment with, and even if you are clipping, like, just do it on purpose. Like, 
when you push a compressor, when you push a preamp in the recording stage, when you push certain gear or certain plugins, both digital and analog, you're going to get a slightly different sound from it. Um, and just be aware of that. And that's really the only advice that we can give. Yeah. And just, again, it comes back to the most important rule with all of this stuff is to do everything on purpose, to do everything with intention. So if you can get to that point where you're doing like you're picking gain staging and volume automation to the same way, same way, what levels are going into certain stuff? It's not that important. It's not something that you should be thinking about 24 seven. It should just, it should just be part of your workflow. Yeah. Is that cool? Yeah. So on that note, uh, real quick thing, shout out to our sponsor. This is really late. <laughs> shout out to our sponsor, Isotope. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Um, if you would like 10% off of your next Isotope purchase, go to www.isotope.com backslash mnpodcast and use the code mnpod10 to get 10% off your next order. Um, that is not including monthly subscription and uh, Spire, the hardware. So on that note, thank you so much for listening. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. One, two, three. Is episodes once a week not enough for you? Or are you looking for more technical information from the Mixing Music Podcast? Well, guess what? Now you can. You can subscribe to our exclusive content and triple the amount of episodes that you get access to. That's right. Instead of the free once a week episodes, you get three episodes a week for only $4 a month or $40 a year. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive to get access to those episodes now. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save